Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Before we start today's episode, I have a few quick announcements. The first announcement is a reminder to fill out my Grad School Foundering Podcast listener survey. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, I mentioned that October marks the third year anniversary of my podcast. And in light of that, I've created the survey with the purpose of helping the podcast to grow, to keep strengthening the topics the guests, the structure, even the frequency of the podcast. So if you have something to say, if you'd like to offer feedback, if you've gained something valuable from this show, please consider filling out that survey, which will be available in the show notes for today. Another announcement is, again, to remind you to keep offering your reviews on Apple Podcasts. I uh, greatly enjoy reading them each time that I check and there's a new one. It really, really makes a big, big difference, not just in terms of me reading them, enjoying them, sharing them, but also each time that you rate and review the show, it actually helps to make the podcast more accessible to people. So when folks search keywords like grad school or femtor, they will find my podcast and get access to this information, which again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to share what I've learned to demystify higher ed, to help people in, in their personal and professional development, and to not keep gatekeeping in higher ed and outside of higher ed. So if you believe in the mission of supporting first-gen scholars like us, first-gen students of color like us, then leave a review, rate the show, please. Okay, the last um, announcement that I wanted to make is just a reminder to any student who's listening to this podcast that you may have a bunch of mentors and femtors who are pouring into you but don't forget to reciprocate that back. Why do I say this? Because I want to let you know that your femtors, that your mentors, they need support too. Recently, I've started signing on some new clients. And what I found so fascinating is that not only have I been supporting first-gen students of color in applying and navigating grad school for the last a little over, what, 10 years, 12 plus years now. But in that trajectory, I've actually helped and um, been in contact with folks who have finished their programs and are now going into their transitions into becoming professors, higher ed prof uh, professionals, or professionals in fields outside of academia. And I'm noticing time and time again that folks are overwhelmed, overworked, burnt out, and they need help and support in all of these transitions. 
figuring out how to navigate big life transitions like graduating, applying for jobs, transitioning to a new job, and then everything else that goes on in your private personal life, all of that is not easy. And so some of the folks that have come to me are these folks, are the folks who are the early career professionals who maybe are feeling a little bit stuck, uh, maybe are in need of a little bit of a reassessment, assessing where they are in their life, um, assessing where they want to be in the next one, two, three, four, five years. Maybe they just need some support as they figure out their next life transition or as they come up with an exit strategy. And thankfully, I am equipped with the skills and experience to support them with that. So it's been really lovely to take them on as new clients and femtees. But the whole reason why I'm sharing this is, again, to remind you that we all need support. We all need to help each other. Next time you have a meeting with a mentor, femtor, make sure you ask them how they're doing too and to hold space for them whenever you have the capacity to do that, okay? That's it for today. And I hope you all enjoy this episode related to working on your CVs. It's <laughs> it's never the, there's never a wrong time to work on your CV, to update it and to keep improving it, especially as you navigate your higher ed journey. All right, now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. This is your host, Doctora Yvette. And today, I have an episode all about how to write a CV for grad school. I am coming up on three years of recording this podcast, and I am completely surprised that I have not recorded an episode on the CV, the Curriculum Vita. I have so many episodes that discuss the topic of applying to graduate school and actually teach you how to draft the different components of your grad school application. And somehow I missed the CV. <laughs> and even though it's long overdue, I thought I might as well record it now and not have you wait any longer. So for today's episode, I'm really going to be focusing on how to draft the CV for the purpose of applying to graduate school. But some of the information I share may be relevant for those of you that are already in graduate school that are looking to update, modify, strengthen your current CV. Okay, so let's get started with what is a curriculum vita? This is a document meant to summarize your academic achievements. A lot of times it's compared to a resume. However, it is not the same thing as a resume. A CV tends to be longer, and it's a document that showcases your full academic experience, accomplishments, skills. The resume tends to be shorter, more succinct, and often tailored to very specific job applications. The CV, however, doesn't have a page limit. Believe it or not, some professors that you may have had or that you currently have may have CVs that are 20, 30, 40. I've even seen 50 page CVs for folks who are um, faculty who are either retiring or they're already retiring their emeriti faculty. They have a longstanding career and it shows in their very long CV. Okay, so 
How do you draft the CV? Odds are you probably already have experience writing a resume because a lot of us have had some sort of job experience where that was required. But this may be your first time having to draft a CV if you haven't had any other opportunity where it's been required. So um, typically the CV for graduate school is not too long. It may be two pages, three pages long. And um, the first thing that you have on your CV, uh, at the top of your CV, is your name and your contact information. That always comes first. Some other sections may be interchangeable. Some of the um, heading titles may also be kind of, you can modify them as you see fit. But what remains the same across the board is that your name and your contact info always goes at the top. Below the contact information, another thing that you must have is your education section. And in that education section, that's where you're listing your degrees, the institutions that you attended, and the departments in which you received your degrees. For most applicants, you're including community colleges, you're including um, your bachelor's degree and the date you expect to complete it. And in some cases for students who maybe study abroad or ha have had experiences at other universities outside of their current university, it is optional to include that in your education section as well. Okay, so following the education section, what are some other very commonly used sections? Let's take a look. You... Um, can include an honors and awards or grants and fellowships section. You can include research experience and research presentations, publications, teaching experience. You can include skills. You can include volunteer or leadership experience. You can include memberships if you're part of um, any national association in your field. And most CVs will have a references section at the end. Now, let me talk a little bit in more detail about what goes in some of these frequently used headings and sections. Um, one of the very important section that you want to have when you're applying to grad school is your research experience section, because this is where you're showcasing and listing the things that you probably are also discussing in your statement of purpose. This is where you discuss what opportunities you've had and specifically naming dates of the experiences, your title or role, and the name of the opportunity or program that you participated in. You can also include a brief description in bullet form of what you studied and the tangible outcome of that research. Research experience is very, very important. Even if you did not do a formal program, you'll want to make sure to include research experience in the form of um, a paper that you wrote if you took a research methods course or any other type of experience that you had, you'll want to list it in that section. Aside from research experience, another section that's related to that is the research presentation section. Just because you have research experience doesn't necessarily indicate that you have presenting experience. 
That's why it's important to indicate that even if it's the same project for the same program, if you present it at a conference, if you present it at a symposium, if you present it at a colloquium, you want to indicate that and include the title of your presentation. You want to include the location in which you presented and the conference name, if it was for a conference and the date that you gave that presentation. Another section that is great to have, although it's not expected if you're applying to grad school, but if you have it, it's definitely a plus, is a publication section. Sometimes individuals do manage to get um, presentation, I mean, sorry, publications out of undergraduate research journals. And if that's the case for you, great. You can include that in your publication section. It's going to make you stand out. But if you don't, don't worry too much because it is not expected at this stage for you to have any or a lot of publication experience. Um, next, after publications, so the publications, kind of the location of that section varies. Some people choose to include publications right under their education and on top of research experience and research presentations because research is so heavily prioritized in graduate programs that that goes at the top. Um, but other individuals may include it after the research experience and presentation section. It really is up to you. Next uh, is awards, honors and awards, grants and fellowships. There's some flexibility in terms of what you want to call that section. Um, it depends on what types of opportunities you've had. It, have you received scholarships and fellowships or have you had more um, opportunities for getting grants, travel grants, anything like that. So um, depending on what you have to showcase, then you'll want to call it honors and awards or grants and fellowships and include the amount of the award. So you want to include the name of the award and the amount and the year that you received those awards. All right, next up are some extra sections that you, again, may or may not have. These um, sections are teaching experience, leadership experience, service work, volunteer experience, up to you, whatever you have and whatever you want to showcase, no matter what, just make sure that the, that you showcase experiences that are aligned with the graduate program that you're applying to. And so if you have certain work experience that maybe doesn't have anything to do with your academic um, endeavors and goals, then you don't necessarily have to keep it there. Um, another thing I don't recommend is including anything from high school. Sometimes it ha this happens if you get this very well-known prestigious scholarship or honor or whatever it is um, in high school. That's great for your college applications, but it's not so great for your grad school app. So withhold any information from high school and also um, withhold any type of experiences that are not directly related. So for example, when I was in high school and in college, I had certain work experiences outside of college 
that weren't necessarily something I wanted to highlight. So maybe that was working for retail or maybe it was um, <clears throat> working in the food industry and it wasn't directly tying in to my pursuit of a theater and performance studies PhD. So I left that out. <clears throat> All right. With a teaching experience section, please note that you can include things like tutoring opportunities. You can also include any times that maybe you served as a teaching assistant. Sometimes undergraduates do get that opportunity. So feel free to include that there. Leadership experience and service work is up to you, what you wanna call it. That's where if you've been involved in any extracurriculars and, and actively involved, actually, <laughs> like heavily involved, and you want to showcase that, you can definitely include that there. <clears throat> service work too. Sometimes you're involved in service work in the form of extracurriculars or part-time jobs. You can include that if you'd like. Other... Um, Sections that are common are a skills section, a languages section, a membership section, like I mentioned earlier, or you can also call it professional memberships, and a references section. For the skills, I recommend including relevant academic and research skills. Sometimes folks are tempted to say things like, I have experience with Microsoft Word or Microsoft Office. But this is almost, an, I mean, an expectation or a norm across the board, no matter what field you're in. So I would hold back on including things like that. And instead, I would include a discipline specific skills that you've gained, research skills that you've gained. If you've learned how to use a software, if you've learned a technical skill, include that there. If you don't have that, that's okay. You don't need that section. Similarly, for languages, I've seen a lot of folks include uh, that they know one language and then they'll also include English as a language. And please don't include English within your languages section. It is assumed that because your educational background has been in institutions of education that are in the U.S. and predominantly in English, we know that you know English. You, we know that you speak, you know how to read, write, and all of that in English. So don't include English, but do include any other languages. If you know Spanish, if you know Portuguese, Japanese, German, you name it, whatever language you know, make sure to include it, especially if it's relevant in your field. Some disciplines greatly um, appreciate and actually um, will count that towards part of your requirement in graduate school. I know, especially in the humanities, disciplines like comparative literature, uh, certain lang language uh, disciplines um, will ask that you have at least a second language, sometimes even a third language. So make sure you include also your proficiency level in that language and not just within, not just saying I'm proficient, but say that it's whether it's in writing, reading, speaking, and even translating and interpreting. Okay, what's next? So after languages, after skills, languages, the last section that I recommend everybody have is the references section. This is where you can include anywhere from two to up to even six people whose names, titles, and contact information you want to share. 
make sure that if you do include names of individuals that you reach out to them and ask them if they can be your reference. It is <laughs> unfortunately not great to include people as a reference and then have them get I mean, this doesn't happen often, but if they were to get a phone call or an email from a potential graduate school because you were mentioned as a reference and you didn't ask them, that's going to make you look bad. So make sure you always ask in advance if they can serve as a reference and if you can add them as a reference on your CV. If you um, have not yet asked and you're still turning in a CV, you can always include a references section and then simply write one line saying available upon request that's okay too. So then if they ask you for your references, then you know, okay, this is the time for me to ask my recommenders or the other people who you want to be your reference uh, for your grad school apps, then you can ask them right then and there if you can add them to your CV. Um, that's it in terms of the common sections. There's so much information online if you wanted to learn about other potential sections that you can include in your CV. But the ones I mentioned are the ones that I most frequently see when I am helping people. Like in over 10 years that I've been helping people, these are the main sections that come up over and over and over again. You don't have to have all of them, but just showcase your experience in a way that makes you look good and where everything that you share is in alignment with why you are applying to that program. Okay. Now, a couple of things when it comes to formatting is the CV is supposed to be simple, straightforward. There's no bells and whistles. It's not supposed to be flashy or colorful or funky. It's just very I don't even know how to say, it. I guess, straightforward, plain. <laughs> so what do I mean by that? I mean that your fonts should all be one color, preferably black. Sometimes some people choose blue. Blue is, dark blue is okay, but black is what's expected. Times New Roman is the font that most people use. There are other types of serif type, serif fonts like Georgia, i um, trying to think about any others. That's the only, on, only other one that comes to mind right now that are acceptable, that look similar to Times New Roman. But if you want to play it safe, you can use Times New Roman. And then in terms of the font size, it's recommended across the board, not just within the CV, but also in your essays for you to keep it to 11, between size 11 and 12. So it could be 11, 11.5, 12, anything over 12 is too big. Anything under 12 is too small and hard to read. Um, the only exception is your name. Your name at the very top of the CV can be bigger. You can make it as big as 14 or even 16 if you really want it to stand out. Not too, too big then um, because that might just look silly. <laughs> Um, so that's the font size. Now, also another thing to consider are the margins. And I know folks will mess around with margins so many times when 
they have certain page limits. Typically for the CV, you will, will not get a page limit the way that you would for a statement of purpose or a personal statement. But if you do have a page limit, you want to stick to that. If they say no more than a two, three page CV, you want to stick to that and try to honor the one inch margin. Most of the time, most things, they want you to stick to a one inch margin. Don't mess with them. Another thing you can do, which is not required, but it's one of my preferences, and a lot of folks have this preference as well, is to left justify your information and to share any dates on the left-hand side. Typically for folks who write resumes, it's really common to see the dates of all of your opportunities listed on the far right side. But for CVs, and just in general, because the way that we read is we read, it's a very Western way. We read from left to right. And folks are usually, when they're reviewing applications, they're trying to scan through information really quickly. They want to get to see the dates right away. And to help them to guide their eyes, it's better to keep your dates on the left-hand side. So I recommend left justifying information and keeping your dates on the left-hand side. Let me see, is there anything else that I want to include about the CV for you not to forget? Um, I think I've covered almost everything. Frequently asked questions usually is like, how much is too short? Um, I don't think there is such a thing as a CV that is too short because you're not expected to have a ton of experience at this point of, in time. Um, but you do, I think it's, it's common to have two, a two to three page CV at this time. Sometimes CVs can get too long among applicants because I'll notice people starting to pad information. So their spacing looks off. They're just adding too much space in between each information or each line of content in their CV. Or sometimes the CV looks funny because they've padded the information that they've shared on each entry. So maybe instead of adding two to three bullets to describe an experience, they're adding five, six, seven, eight bullets, or they're adding really long paragraphs. The CV is not a place for long form writing. You do that in your essays, not in the CV. And that's it. If you are curious about what CVs look like, once again, take a look at the uh, any CVs that you see online, but even better, check out some of the departmental websites for the programs you're interested in. See if they have names of any current graduate students or professors, and then download their CVs. A lot of times individuals have their own personal websites or they have a university-based website where they share their CV. And a lot of times it's a downloadable PDF. So start to take a look at what CVs in your discipline look like and then model yours after the common um, threads that you see within those CVs, okay? Good luck with working on your CV if you need to write one. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. All right, that's it for now and until next time. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are 
three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half-hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right, one free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at gradschoolfemtoring. Thanks again and until next time.